The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Welcome on back to Baseball History 101. On this episode, I'm Patrick Vault. I'm here with Matthew Carter, and we're going to cover the history of the World Series. We figured that'd be topical with what just happened with the Braves making the heck of a run that they did. Yep. And um, I think a good starting point would be just the precursors to the modern World Series, which is 1857. Before the formation of the two leagues. And I feel like Matthew would be a good guy to start us off with this one. Let's see. So, until the formation of the American Association in 1882, or the second major league, the National Association of Professional Baseball Players, and then the National League, represented the top level of Major League Baseball in the U.S. And all championships were awarded to the team with the best record at the end of the season without a postseason series being played. Now, from 1884 to 1890, the National League and the American Association faced each other in a series of games at the end of the season to determine an overall champion. These series were disorganized in comparison to the Modern World Series, with the terms arranged through negotiation of the owners of the championship teams beforehand. The number of games played ranged from as few as three games in the beginning of 1884 to a high of 15 games in 1887. Both the 1885 and 1890 series ended in ties, each team having won three games with one tie in the game. Wow. <laughs> the 1880s were crazy back then. And that was back when it was referred to as the Championship of the United States. Also, the World's Championship Series, or World's Series. For sure. Um, Simon Winchester wrote a book about that called Krakatoa, The Day the World Exploded, August 27, 1883. He mentions that in passing that the World Series was named for the New York World newspaper. But a lot of people don't, dis- don't agree with that. Right. There's, it's disputed. Now, the 1884 World, the 1884 Championship of the United States, Providence, the Providence Grays, beat the New York, I believe the New York Gotham's, they weren't called the Giants then, three games to nothing. Now, Providence had a pitcher named, I believe it was, I believe he played for Providence that year, Old Haas Radburn. Excuse me. And Old Haas won like 59 games for the Providence Grays, and that's something that you that you will never see in modern baseball. Fifty nine win game season. That's never gonna happen. Twenty is the magic number. Right. So the Providence Grays dominated that year, and then eighteen eighty seven, the Detroit team was called the Detroit Wolverines. 
can't believe they played 15 games. And they beat the St. Louis, I believe they were the Browns or the Brown Stockings back then. They beat the St. Louis team, who was in the American, I believe they were in the American Association. Detroit was the National League. Yeah, Detroit was the National League team back in the day. Crazy to think about that now. But Detroit beat uh, St. Louis 10 games to 5. So, I mean, you know, that's just... <laughs> So, you know, so that ended after 1890. 1891, the American Association disbanded. And so from 1892 to 18, from 1892 to 1900, there was only the National League. It was known as the Monopoly Years because they're the only big major league at the time. And so between 1892, you know, the league championship was awarded in 1892 by a playoff. So they actually did their own little playoff. And they also did, during the season, they did a split season. It's kind of how the minor leagues do now, where you have the first half, second half champions, as well, I'm assuming split season means. Yeah, that's, I believe that's the same, as the same thing goes. So they did, uh, so they did this in 1892, but after that, it was abandoned after one season. And then from 1883, and from, I'm sorry, 1893, excuse me, beginning 1893 and continuing until divisional play was introduced in 1969, the pennant was awarded to the first place club in the standings at the end of the season. And then from four seasons from 1894 to 1897, the league champions played the, the, the runners-up in a postseason tournament championship called the Temple Cup. And the Temple Cup, let's see. Um, it was awarded to the winner of an annual best of seven postseason series for American professional baseball. And the teams were exclusively from the National League and exclusively from the American Association. Yeah. And after the 1891 season, the series was played between the first and second place teams of the surviving National League. So the American League kind of went their own route. And I, I'm not sure, but is the American Association that they're talking about, once the American League happened, is that the same American Lo Association of Indie Ball now? It's it, different. I mean, I guess you, I guess they retained the name over the years. But, but the American League became the American League, and it's kind of, in passing, has become... As we talked about in the Connie Mack episode, the American League was a minor league known as the Western League. And then they changed his name to the American League in 1900. And then 1901, it went to be a major league. This is the American Association from 1882 to 1891. That was the only major league version of that league. All the other versions since then, including the current independent one, they're all mine. They've all been mine. Okay. League. Yeah. Um. And then after 1891, the series was played just solely between the first and second place teams of the surviving National League. Mm -hmm. And they played for the Temple Cup, which was the World's Championship Series. Right. And it was named after William Chase Temple, who was a coal, citrus, and lumber baron. And he was a part owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates at the time. It always seems to come back to coal and oil barons and lumber and yeah. this barons of industry. Right. And now... 
there was an actual trophy of this known as the Temple Cup. And I've seen it. It's at the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's on display. It's very elegant and regal. Yeah, it's... If you look at the picture of it. It's a really beautiful trophy. You know, like, I've seen this thing and it's in person. It's it's great. I'm kind of envious of you getting to see stuff like that. I know. I know you are, but... <laughs> comes with the territory. It was 30 inches high, made of silver, and at the time it cost... Eight hundred dollars, but in two th- twenty twenty dollars it was twenty three thousand some change, yeah. and it was donated by William Chase Temple, and he was a, as you said, part of the pirates, and as you also said, it is currently in the collection at the museum. Yep. So now from eighteen ninety four to eighteen ninety seven, the only team that has played in all four Temple Cup. Uh, Matchups were the Baltimore Orioles, and when and, you know the Baltimore Orioles were a National League team before they became American League team, then the minor league team, then back to American League team, and so and this this team was stacked. They had a young John McGraw when he was a scrappy player. They had Huey Jennings, who later became the manager. We've talked about McGraw before too. Yeah, we talked about McGraw. They had Huey Jennings. They had Lee Willie Keeler. They had Wilbert Robinson. They had Joe Kelly. And they were managed by a guy named Ned Hanlon, who was, who played for the 1887 uh, Detroit Wolverines. I believe he was on that team. And they, you know, they were the kings of, like, small ball. They invented the Baltimore Shop, which was basically a, a high grounder where they would Swing at the ball, and they would deliberately try to swing it downwards. Like a chop and run. The chop and run, you know, and that was their way. If they hit, it, if they hit it down and far high enough, they could get on base. Then they called it the Baltimore chop after the team. Now they played in all four Temple Cups. They've only won. They only won one, and that was in 1896 against the Cleveland Spiders. They won four straight. I um, love that team name. Yeah. That was before they had that epic collapse in 1899, the Cleveland Spiders. But then, let's see, 1894, the New York Giants beat the Orioles four straight in the Temple Cup. 1895, the Spiders beat the Orioles four games to one. 1896, we said Baltimore beat uh, Cleveland four straight. And then the last one, 1897, excuse me, the Boston Eaters beat the Orioles. No, I'm sorry. I take that back. The Orioles won twice. The Orioles beat the Bean Eaters four games to one. So they won it twice. I said I stand corrected. The Baltimore Orioles have won it twice. And um, somebody actually wrote a book about the 1897 season. I don't remember the name. If you want to look it up, go for it. You know, if you want to read more about 1897 baseball. Because that's something I always lack is 19th century baseball knowledge. So Yeah, you're a little more modern era kind of guy. Yeah, anything from like like I said, the beginning of the dead ball era to now is just my forte, but anything post, uh, pre-1900, I'm just like, eh. I just have really much interest in it. Well, then after the Temple Cup, there was a second attempt at a similar format, and that was the Chronicle Telegraph Cup, which is also at the Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm not sure if you've seen it. I'm sure I have. I just didn't look close to that one. It's beautiful-looking trophy. Okay, I've seen that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, but it only lasted one year. It only lasted 1900. And it was played once, and it was the precursor to the current World Series. Um, the Brooklyn 
Superbus? Superbus, yeah. Superbus? Yeah. They beat the Pittsburgh Pirates 3-1. to one. Three games to one. And um, it was played at Exhibition Park in Allegheny City, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Umpires were Ted, Tim Hurst and Ed Smartwood. Um, yeah, Expo- Exposition Park, you know, years later, that site was where Three River Stadium was built in 1970. That's the stadium I was only going to. I feel like if you have a nice seat in the middle deck, the overlooking the bridges, and... Yeah. I think that's a... That's a bucket list park to go to, just because yeah. of the view of the outfield and. Yeah, and um, yeah, and so in Allegheny City, that was an actual. It was kind of, it was an actual city before the city of Pittsburgh incorporated into the city. Kind of like how Inslee was their own city before Birmingham. Right. Incorporated that so. But the uh, the Chronicle Telegraph Cup was only in 1900, and then in 1901 the American League was formed, being the second. Major League. And they didn't play a championship series in 01 or 02 as the National and American Leagues. They just didn't agree. They were fighting for players, fighting for turf. Um, yeah. And in 1902, the top teams actually instead opted to compete in a football championship. Oh, yeah. I, I read that in the Connie Mack books because I think the A's had a team. That's, yeah, and that's when the AFL and the NFL kind of started emerging, <laughs> which is wild how baseball and football actually crossed over at a point in time. Yeah. Um, but then um, the Modern World Series, as we know it, began in 1932. Um, after two years Wait, of... 1932? No, 1903. Oh, that's, sorry. that's sorry. I saw, I saw another side note. Um, 1903. And it was after a couple years of just cutthroat competition and player rating, people trying to steal each other's players. Mm. The National and the American Leagues wound up, you know, getting along. Like, we're going to play our league. You're going to play your league. We'll play each other for who wins it all. Yep. Um, and that was after a series of exhibition games in 1903. Um, then the first one matched the pennant winners of the Pittsburgh Pirates and the uh, Boston Americans, later known as your Bo Sox. Yep. Now, of course, if you watch um, Ken Burns Baseball, the 1900s episode. I highly recommend watching that for everybody. Yep. They Mar- refer to the Boston team as the Pilgrims, which at that point in time, they weren't called the Red Sox, and they went through Americans, as in like the American League or the Pilgrims, and sometimes the team was called the Boston Somersets, which I think that's her. I don't know where they got the Somersets from. I think maybe there's a river up there or something, but something. The name, the name, the chain, the name was different like so many times through the early 1900s, but the Boston team won the first World Series. At the Huntington Avenue grounds. Yes, and I've been to the site before, and it's something else. The Northeastern University owns the site. They built some buildings there, but. Yeah, so the first World Series, you know, you had, obviously, Cy Young on the Pilgrims. Great Cy Young. We all know Cy Young Award. We all know that guy. And we also had uh, player-manager and future Hall of Famer Jimmy Collins at third base. Uh, Bill Deneen? Yeah, so Bill Deneen was on there. Even though Cy Young uh, was on the team, 
he was not the pitching star of the team. It was Bill Deneen. Bill Deneen, that was his World Series. And uh, So is he just dominant in the series? Yeah, Bill Deneen won like three games, out of, three out of four games in the World Series. And he was dominant. You're not going to see that today. No, he, let's see, his stats... Yeah, three three one with twenty eight strikeouts to eight walks and a two point zero six ERA in those four games. When Cy Young, you know, Cy Young was good too. He went two and one with a one eighty five ERA. But since I guess Bill Dean pitched in more games and won the deciding game, which they played eight games that year for that series, Pilgrims won five games of three. Was it like best of nine or something? Yeah, it was best of nine. That was how they did it. That's almost too much baseball. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how they did it in I hate to say it's too much baseball, but that's almost too much baseball. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Bill Deneen. I can't hear this. Bill Deneen won. There we go. So Bill Deneen. So Bill Deneen won not only the series outstanding player he also won the mo- the world series most outstanding pitcher he was very dominant um all together in the eight games a total attendance of one one hundred thousand four hundred twenty nine fans attended all eight games um like i said you know they played in huntington Avenue grounds you know fenway park wasn't around yet and I've seen, if you've seen pictures of the Huntington Avenue grounds, you know it was just crazy. There's lots of fans there. You know, in the old days, fans could, like, be, do a standing room only in the outer reaches of the outfield. And, of course, it's the dead buyers, so they had deep outfields, you know. Graveyards. Graveyards. And the Red Sox had a great uh, fan, fan group called the Royal Rooters, led by a guy named Mike McGreevy, also known as Nuff Said McGreevy, who owned a bar in town called the Third Base Saloon. And these guys, they would give, you know, they would give uh, opposing players and opposing pl- Pittsburgh players trouble. Like, I remember watching the, watching the uh, Ken Burns uh, film documentary, and they were talking about how, you know, they were making fun of Thomas Wagner, and there was some song, there was a song called Tessie, that was their theme song, the, the Rovers theme song. Which some of y'all might recognize from uh, a certain Boston band. Dropkick Murphys. Yep. And so there's a lyric in the Tessie song. It was like, Tessie, you know, why I love you so madly, or something along those lines. And when Honus Wagner, the Pirates, came with the bat, the Royal Rooters would change the song lyrics to, Honus, why do you hit so badly, or something like that. So, you know, they really gave, they gave the opposing players hell. You know, these were great fans. And they, you would have to give them some credit to helping the Pilgrims or the Americans win the World Series that year. And so this was a great thing for Van Johnson, the president of the American League, who just stuck it to the National League. He's like, in your face, we won the first World Series. It's awesome. But then in 1904, the next year, they didn't have the World Series. They had a boycott. They had a boycott because the New York Giants, who won the American, no, sorry, National League pennant that year, didn't want to play the American League pennant, who was also the Pilgrims. Just didn't want to play him. And they're just like, nah, we don't want to play him. Like they just, just boycotted it, basically. So yeah. what I said was the what I'm reading was the Boston Americans and the New York Giants, which are now the San Francisco Giants. Yeah. That's it, yeah. What Boston Americans 
Boston Americans and New York. You said Cowboys. Boston Pilgrims. Pilgrims. So well, Boston's gone through a multitude of name changes. Is what I'm getting at. Yeah, as I've stated earlier in the podcast, they before they decided on the Red Sox in 1908, they went through either the Americans or the Pilgrims or the Somersets. And it's kind of interchangeable. Yeah, it's just interchangeable. The sports writers usually came up with the team names back in the day, and they would go through. It was like kind of like Washington Football Club. Right. Yeah, and different, different. Uh, depending on who the paper was, because you know the teams had cities had multiple papers back then. Depending on who was writing the paper, they would call the team different names, whether it be Americans, Pilgrims, or Somersets, or some made-up name. But sports writing was just amazing back then. Um, but yeah, they didn't play. Each, but like I said, McGraw and the Giants they were just like they won the National League pennant. They had just didn't want to play the American League team. They wanted. Yeah, play. and it was before there was a governing body to make them do it. Right. There was no, you know, commissioner of baseball. There was the national. Com- there was not even a national commission then. I don't think. So what I what I read up on today, looking into this, um, John T. Bush, he did not want his team to participate in such an event it's, because the inferiority of the upstart American League. Yeah, it's Johnson this, Brush. I'm sorry. Brush. Is, brush, Brush, yes. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and John McGraw, a Giants manager, even went as far to say that his Giants were already the world champions since they were the champions of the only real major league. So it was a big time, like, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. Why we got to pray to prove it? Because we both think we're better. Right. That's kind of how I read into it. Yeah. But then the next year, 1905, they started the World Series again. Because basically, oh, okay, the Giants owner proposed a new set of rules. Mm-hmm. In the uh, winter meetings of 04 and 05. Yeah, called the John T. Brush rules, mm-hmm. which changed the series to a best of seven format and established new rules. So after that. It seemed to have something cooking because we still play with it. Right. So after that, the Giants said, okay, we're going to play the World Series. And they played against Connie Mack and the A's which we've already talked about. Giants won that series four games to one. And uh, Christy Matheson was the star of the World Series. He won three games for the Giants. And he won both, just like Deneen in 03, Matheson won the series most outstanding player and the series most outstanding pitcher. And so you, how the, so this is a, this is a funny uh, little story. I'm going to be brief. Before the start of the first game at Columbia, I'm trying to remember, it was, it was the first actual, actual first game, or, let's see. Oh, it was at Columbia Park. So, yeah, I think it was either game one. Giants and the A's are at Columbia Park where the A's used to play. And, you know, John McGraw, you, you want to know why the Oakland A's and the Philly A's and the Kansas City A's had that elephant, that white elephant on their jersey? It's because John McGraw called them a bunch of white elephants in 1902. And Connie Mack loved the idea because John McGraw was trying to insult them. You know, white elephant is like an insult. Like, if you if you describe something as a white elephant, it's an insult. Like, it's a, a useless thing, you know. A bunch of scrubs. Right. But Connie Mack thought it was a great idea to make the white elephant a, the mascot for his team. Let's watch these scrubs be winners. Yeah. So, before game one of the... World Series in 1905. I think one of the ace players, or maybe it was one of the coaches, Connie Mack didn't go out to the... They, they met with the umpires before the game, and one of the coaches, and I wish I could remember who it was, 
you know, he, he gives this package to John McGraw. And John's looking at this like, what in the world? And he unravels the package, and it's a, a little statue of a white elephant. And there's a picture of this. John McGraw has, like, the hugest smile on his face, as in, like, he's laughing at this thing. That he got a white elephant. Because he knew, because the A's remembered <laughs> what he said. There's, I know there's a picture on it. I've seen the picture. It's not in the book that I have about the World Series, unfortunately, but it's a hell of a picture. It, you know, if you if anybody can find that picture online, go for it, man. <laughs> it's just a, you know. I mean, the, the A's had a good laugh then, but, you know, the Giants got the last laugh by beating the A's in the World Series. I wish I could. <laughs> it's just a crazy picture. All right, so I got it pulled up right now. In 1902, the Orioles were bought by a group of businessmen and would be moved to New York at the start of the 1903 season where they would become the Highlanders, yep. the predecessors of the Yankees. Yep. And one of the Orioles players, John McGraw, who had just been banned by American League president, Ban Johnson, banned by a man named Ban, decided to jump ships to join the New York Giants where he raided the roster Orioles. And at one point, McGraw was approached by several sports writers. And one of them asked, what do you think today? It's McGraw answered, white elephants. Quickly retorted Mr. McGraw, Mr. B.F. Sheeb. 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 Sheeb Park. Um, has a white elephant in his hands. And he handed it to John McGraw. And here's the picture, Matthew. That's it. That's it. <laughs> he has the biggest smile on his face. See that little Shit-eating grin. Just. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he kept that thing because that's just hilarious. Yeah. That's something that should belong in the. Yeah, that's that's something that should belong. Oh, in look at this early A's jersey. Yeah, yeah, with Jimmy Fox. That was from the twenties, like twenty-seven, twenty-eight. It's a very miserable elephant, but it's really cool. Oh yeah, but yeah. So if you want to know, if you all want to know how the A's got their name, how they got the elephant, that's where it came from, John McGraw. So anyway, and then, now we're not going to go through year by year who won the World Series. The World Series really kind of has stayed the same, and then the next big World Series event was going to be in 1919. Yep, the Black Sox scandal. And that's when some game fixing came in. The really first, honestly, in all the major sports, it's the first effect of major gambling, major money, making pools. Yep, good old Arnold Rothstein, you know. Um. But I will say this, this series along with 20 and 21 was a best of nine series because, you know, 1918, World War One happened and they had to shorten the season, they shortened the series. So in order for the, the, the managers and the owners and the, the ruling commission to get more money, they said, okay, we're going to do a best of nine World Series to try, to try to recoup that money they lost. Extra ticket value. Yeah, extra ticket value, you know. So that's they played eight games, and of course we all know, you know, Chick Gandel, White Sox uh, first baseman, he wants some extra money, and he knew. And Charles Comiskey was a cheap. He, he had a had a reputation to be a very cheap owner. Didn't pay his players a lot. You know, I'm kind of surprised with the reputation that he has had. We've mentioned him multiple times as being a scumbag in this series right. of podcasts we've been doing. I'm kind of still stunned that they named his stadium after him. Well, he owned the team. I get it, but if you've been proven to be that kind of cat, 
Yeah. To even at long after your death, to name a stadium after him. Yeah, I will say. You that, know, Comiskey yeah. Park. Like, I will say that, that wasn't his brainchild. That was after he was passed away, wasn't it? No, he, what, what the Comiskey Park? Comiskey Park at the end, the second Comiskey Park. The second Comiskey Park was something else. Yeah, I mean that was that he was dead before. But it still carried his name. Right until U.S. Cellular. Right, like, but if you were known to be that kind of scumbag, it kind of, or not, I'm not say scumbag, but if you were known to be that shady kind of businessman. Yeah, but Charles Comiskey has a place in, in the game because of his, he was a successful player in the 1880s and manager, and then owner of the White Sox, which, you know, I mean, you know, if you ask Bob Feller, he would say Charles Comiskey shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, Joe Jackson should be, but, you know, Bob Feller's dead, so. You couldn't ask him that, but it's just been a crazy World Series. We're going off subject, so all right. So we're going to go back to the nineteen nineteen Black Sox scandal, right? They, and from what I've read, gambling had been a thing in the past in the game of baseball. Yeah, basically, um, basically from the beginning. Yeah, but um, like there was a guy named Jim Devlin. He got banned for life in eighteen seventy seven. Yep. Um, that'd be a good episode we could do in the future. Just some obscure stuff. Um. But that was when the National League had only been a couple years into its existence. Right, yeah. Um, but they, they they really came to a problem in 1919 when eight men out yep. Great movie. of the Chicago White Sox were alleged to have conspired to throw the 1990 World Series. They had won the series in 17, and they were very superb gambling favorites to beat the Reds in 1919. Yeah. But Chuck Gandel... Kind of got tied in. Chick Gandle. Chick Gandle. Chick Gandle. <laughs> Come on, Patrick. I know. I'm tired. It's been a long day, yeah. Um, Chick Gandle. Um, with some gam- with some, he, got, he got tied in with some gamblers. Um, Joseph Sports Sullivan. Yeah. Kind of got him and six of his teammates to agree to throw the series. Eddie Sakat, Lefty Williams, Swede Risberg, left fielder Sheila's Joe. Happy Felsch, the center fielder, and um, a utility man on the infield, Fred McMullen. And then um, the third baseman, Buck Weaver. They all knew what was going on, trying to fix the game. Um, or Buck Weaver, third baseman Buck Weaver, he knew what was going on, but he didn't want to do it. He was he had 324 for the series. Yeah. They were promised $100,000 for cooperating. I'm not sure if that was a piece or if they split it. I'm not sure either, either way they didn't get at that time period, I'm willing to bet they probably split it. They probably did, but I, as far as I understand, they didn't get even close to that. But all that all they were asked to do was lose the best of nine, but they had to do it in eight games. And they did it in eight games. <laughs> and um, Jackson, Shoeless Joe, to his death, he said he played to the best of his ability in the series. And he had the best numbers of any player in the series. Yeah, he hit 375. He hit the only home run in the series. If you can play, if you hit 375, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you're really trying to throw anything. Yeah, I mean, maybe. But um, I'm not fully sure of the details where they shave and runs, you know, like, because, like, I hate to bring a more modern thing of Pete Rose into it. He played to win every day, but you can shave a run here and there. Yeah, I mean, like, you know? yeah, basketball, there's point-shaving scandals, you know. Oh, I highly recommend everybody watching um, the Netflix documentary Bad Sport about the one about the Arizona State basketball team. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
where they were just shaving a couple points here and there. Don't do it, but... Yeah. So the Reds beat the White Sox in that series five games to three. You know, and, uh, yeah, that was... And, then of course, they got caught the next year. It took almost a year for everything to... The rumors and all of that to play themselves out. Just, hey, I heard something about this team. I heard something about this team. Right. And, and like, even... So, and, of course, there were some sports writers like Hugh Fulch in Chicago who, like, even before the first pitch was thrown in the game one, they knew something was up because rumors were flying, like, everywhere. Them, him and Ring Larder were like, yeah, something's going on. If you're going to be a criminal, do better. Right. And if it's before the first pitch was thrown and you got rumors already. Right. I mean, like, what, you know, just people do. It seemed like who the people in the know in Major League Baseball at the time knew what was going on, but they were just kind of hush-hush about it. So you're talking about Ring Lardner. He called the uh, World Series the World's Serious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Ring, Ring Lardner was a great, great, best, great writer, man. Um, they were all acquitted in a criminal conspiracy trial. Yep. But baseball said... Landis banned them. Landis was the commissioner. Rightfully so, though. Yeah, I mean... And they, even though, like... I hate it for Shoeless Joe because he played his, I'm not going to say off in the series, but you knew what was going on, yeah. and you pocketed money from it. And, you know, and Shoeless Joe was illiterate, you know, but it's, he wasn't totally dumb, you know. And I hate, you know, and I hate to say it because, like, I've been to the Shoeless Joe Jackson Museum in Greenville, South Carolina. It's a great museum. And I feel bad for just people who want to promote him <coughs> to get in the Hall of Fame. But, like, Manfred is not interested in reopening this case. Like, when, when he first, you know, first became commissioner, the Jackson Museum wrote him a letter trying to see how it was going. And he, he basically wrote him back saying, I'm not interested in the case. We're not going to reopen this. I'm sorry. Well, it's well beyond him. He's had multiple commissioners before him. If they really wanted to reopen it, they would have done it. Yeah. I mean, Shields Joe's probably in the South Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. Look at that. But it's just, they don't, they're just not interested. And then, you know, like, Tim Williams wants Shields Joe Jackson to get in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, the commissioner at the time he was talking to, Faye Vincent, was like, look, if you want to get Shields, if we're going to let Shields Joe in, we're going to have to let Pete Rose in. And he's like, oh, I don't like Pete Rose in. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, we're more likely to let Pete Rose and then Shoeless Joe because it's just more recent. Right. And he, Which I honestly think, I don't know. And there's probably more people who want to I'm a firm believer that Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But at the same time, if he broke the rules and game out on baseball, that's... It's like he broke the rules, you know, it's that's unforgivable. And I'm, you know... It's a death sentence. It's a death sentence. But anyway. So yeah, that was 1919. So, and then the 20s, the New York Yankees began their rise of dominance in the World Series play. And that's kind of the beginning of the live ball era, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes. The live ball era came around 1920 and 21, and Babe Ruth's just hitting all these home runs. Everybody's like, oh, my God. And he's pitching his ass off. Right. Well, A lot of people forget he was a pitcher. Eventually, when he got to the Yankees, he basically quit pitching and more concentrated more on hitting slash outfield play. But, yeah, you know, 
Roof was great in this 1916-1918 World Series with the Red Sox as a pitcher. You know, he had a he had a record, uh, a scoreless inning streak record that was broken by Whitey Ford in the '61 World Series. I think it was like I can't remember, like thirty something inning. I don't, I don't remember. But you know, but in the '20s the Yankees started getting good. Before then, when they were known as the Highlanders, and then after that, from you know. Before 1921, nobody really took the Yankees seriously. 21, they get to the World Series thanks to Roof. They lose to the Giants, New York Giants. 22, they win the World, they win the American League pin again. They lose to New York Giants. But then 23, it happens because they open Yankee Stadium and they beat the Giants and they won the World Series. Their first of 27 World Series championships. Now. They didn't get rings in 2023 or 27. Because if you go to the Hall of Fame, they have a display of like all the team's championship rings. It's like a courtesy ring to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, but in the early in the early years, some teams like the Yankees, like the 23 World Series, they got like a pocket watch. So That's still kind of dope. Yeah, because I believe it was a gold pocket watch, yeah. So you know, Yankees fans will say 27 rings. If you ask my fellow Hall of Fame intern, Leah Bougiard, which I'd probably screw up her last name. I apologize, Leah, if you listen to this. She would Look say... Look at Tiger on it and she'll correct us and give us a good topic to talk about. Yeah, she would say 25 rings. And, and two, two pocket miles. watches. Yeah, that's what she would say. That's awesome, though. Yeah. I feel like that pocket watch is cooler. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's you know, you, know, you look at it and go, oh, wow, that's a cool pocket watch, you know. Flip it open, might have your team logo on it, and yeah. a couple diamonds on the inside telling you the 12 o'clock and the 6 o'clock. And, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot, and then 24, the Washington Senators, the hapless Washington Senators, won the World Series against the New York Giants in seven games. You know, jo- uh, Walter Johnson, the legendary pitcher, got finally got a World Series ring. That was a great moment, you know. And there's footage on YouTube of Game 7. You know, like highlights from Game Seven, the crowd went crazy. And they stole the field. It was great at the, yeah. I love how the Wikipedia about the history of the World Series it just says New York Yankees dynasty, nineteen twenty to nineteen sixty four. Forty four years of dominance. <laughs> Pretty much, they, you know, they they were in so many World Series between nineteen twenty one and nineteen sixty four, and then from sixty five to seventy five they weren't in a World Series. This was their down years. And I've talked about this. I own a book called Dog Days by Philip Bash. It talks all about that, the down years of the Yankees when they sucked. You know, when they hit rock bottom with aging stars and tried to find their stuff. It was a bad time for the Is Yankees. Is that right before um, the fucking boss man came in? Yeah, it was like, because Steinberger came in 73. And, you know, then he's like, okay, we need to invest in Then we got to, like, re- renovate Yankee Stadium so we're going to go play Shea Stadium for a couple of years while they renovate Yankee Stadium that's almost that's almost a, that's almost borderline criminal yeah but Steinbrenner <laughs> Stein had the money he could pull it off but yeah Steinbrenner was a part of that near the tail end of those dog years that's almost criminal for the Yankees to go play in uh, the Shea Mets Stadium, Stadium yeah. man, one know. year in 1975 the Yankees the Mets the New York Giants football team and the New York Jets all played in Shea Stadium that year that will never happen again. That's a logistical nightmare. Yeah, and there's somebody wrote a book about it. You can read it, but I don't remember. I've never read it. But. I would like to uh, maybe soon 
even if you don't know the podcast about, there used to be a couple that made the entire Major League Baseball schedule yeah. on like pen and paper. Yeah. And then pen and paper, they would do the whole Major League schedule for the entire year. I don't know how you have the mindset to do logistics and all that on who's got to travel where, but... Yeah, I mean, that was just... <laughs> but anyway, so... And we're, we're talking about that um, Yankees dynasty time. And then 47 to 64, you know, like you got the Willie Mays play in there. Yeah. The catch. The catch. The catch. 1954. You know. Oh, in 47, Yankees beat the Dodgers in seven games. Brooklyn Dodgers. And this was the first time that Joe DiMaggio played in a seven-game World Series. And when I was watching the PBS American Masters, American Classics documentary on Joe DiMaggio, there's footage of him saying, you know, <coughs> excuse me, you know, I didn't think the series would go to seven games, but I'm typical deaf that it did go to seven games and that we won. Like, before that, they, all the series that he played in before 47 were, you know, four games, five games, or even six games. You know, like the Yankees would just dominate and, you know, we'd be out of that. The 47 series really pushed him. And then the rest of the team was like, oh, man, we really got to play hard this time. <laughs> you know. So, the Yankees, you know, they have the most World Series championship in 27. Patrick's favorite team, the St. Louis Cardinals, are in second place with 11. Their first one was in 26. They've been so close to 12 for so many. Uh, yeah, there's a lot, like, there's a lot close. They could have been. Could have been 12 and so many different ones. But 26 was their first one. They beat the Yankees in seven games at Yankee Stadium. The great Grover Cleveland Alexander, you know, he won two games and he came in and saved the game seven. You know, Rogers Hornsby, player manager, he made the final out of game seven, tagging Babe Ruth at second base because Ruth tried to decide to go steal second, but it was a fail because Rogers Hornsby was there, you know. So I've got a cool World Series stat that I'm sure you know, which is a little bit later into the um, New York City teams dominating the World Series. Yeah. Between 47 and 64, the New York teams just were the World Series teams. Right. Especially Because the Mets were gotten franchised in 62. Yeah. But even before the Mets were in franchise, 47, 49, 51, 52, 53, 55, and 56, both in New York teams... They had multiple New York teams in them. Right, and that's before everybody shipped out. And, and that's what some uh, New York... The Yankees were playing either the Dodgers or the Giants every other year, pretty much. And that's when they racked up them titles. Yeah, and that was in lots of... Lots of, at least, New York baseball historians and sports writers called that era the golden era of baseball. Or at least New York baseball, anyway. So, I, I like the 90s as the golden era. But that's a different conversation because we're from a different demographic. Right. You know, we're not, we weren't around in the 50s, you know. Right. And honestly, I just get tired of what New York, New York was talking about New York sports back in the day. So I'm just like, Look how many rings we have. Right. Makes it two watches. <laughs> that's it. Watches. <laughs> yeah. And then, so like, you know, the 60s. The New York Can we backtrack to 58? Okay, 58, yeah. The Brooklyn Dodgers and the Giants, New York Giants, the World Series went to the West Coast for the first time. Well, in 1959, because... Well, the 59, 58 season, 59 World... Went. 58, it was the Yankees and Braves, Milwaukee Braves. 59, so Giants and Dodgers moved in 58. Right. 
59. 59, they played the World Series. Right. The Dodgers and the White Sox played each other in the World Series that year. First time on the West Coast. Dodger Stadium was around then. Dodgers played their home games at Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, mm-hmm. where the Tro- the USC Trojans football team plays. They're running a NASCAR race there next year. That's crazy. How can, can they do that? They're gonna put, they're gonna put the pavement down and pull it back up. That's crazy. They're running a NASCAR race there. That's just the crazy. opening race of NASCAR. It's gonna be an exhibition, but it's gonna be there next year. They're debuting their new car at the LA Coliseum. That's insane, man. That's, that's absurd. That's absurd. Why it's like when the Dodgers and them played there a few years ago and they had the super short porch and Oh yeah. It was the most miserable baseball game I've ever watched. But they did that because it was the fiftieth anniversary of them being in LA. So they're like, We're gonna play an exhibition game for old time's sake. I mean I get it. But yeah, but you know It wasn't fun. <laughs> yeah. It was painful. That's why it was an exhibition game. Anyway, and so the sixties were the the declining Yankees. The 67 World Series was great because the Red Sox and the Cardinals, Bob Gibson just dominates, and the Cardinals win in seven games. Of course Bob Gibson dominated. He was... Bob Gibson was God in, on, the, on the mound. Damn near. Now, 68 World Series, this was the golden year of pitchers. Tigers and the Cardinals are playing against each other. Cardinals still have Bob Gibson. The Tigers had Denny McClain, who was the last... Major League pitcher to win 30 games in a season. Did yeah, you'll never see that again. The game's changed so much. Yeah. If you win 20 at this point, you're a legend. Yeah. Denny McClain didn't have a good series. I think he won like one for two. Oh, he won one, he won one game and lost two. Bob Gibson had the record setting 17 strikeouts in a game, a World Series game, the game 168. But Mickey Lolich, the Tigers' other good starting pitcher, he was the star pitcher of that game. That was the, the series, and I believe he beat Gibson in Game 7 to win it for the Tigers. Sorry, Patrick. <laughs> and, of course, 69. I wasn't alive yet. I'm okay with it. Yeah, of course, 69. <laughs> I didn't have to sit through it. <laughs> it's true. 1969. So, here's, here's the interesting thing about 1969. Expansion happens again, but this time, both there's a lot of teams in each league. And so, the Major League Baseball is like, okay, we can't do the old way of whoever is the whoever finishes in first goes to play in the World Series. We gotta have a playoff. So sixty nine, you're talking about the invention of the LCS. Yes, so the League Championship Series is was invented. And so for the first time ever they had a playoff. They, and they divided both leagues divided the teams into east and west divisions. And whoever won the east and the west division of each league would play each other in a league championship series. So you had... And it was a best-of-five series. Right. And you had the Mets beat the Braves in the National League Championship Series three games and nothing. And then you had the Orioles beat the Twins. I don't remember how that... Suck it up, Mets. Wait until Trooper Jones comes around. (laughs) Yeah. And so the Orioles beat the Twins. Billy Martin was the Twins manager at the time. That was his first managerial job. And, like, you know, he didn't get a lot of management. They fired him. But, the, but, you know, Mets and Orioles, the Miracle Mets, you know, they sucked for so long until 1969 when they had the great Tom Seaver, rest in peace. You know, and of course, I've got a Tom Seaver um, figurine at my parents' house still in the box. Yeah. It, you know, the great Tom I'm going to have it forever in the box. 
great Tom Seaver and the young Nolan Ryan was on the pitching staff. Among other players, Gil Hodges, former Brooklyn Dodgers player, was the manager. And they beat the Orioles in four games, four games to one, excuse me, in five games. They beat them four games to one at Shea Stadium. Crowd goes crazy, stones the field, tears up everything. Shea Stadium's a mess, but it doesn't matter because the Mets are world champs, and nobody could believe that at the time. So they started the LCS in 69. and 85, it changed to best of seven the way it is now. Okay, yeah. Um, the NLCS and the ALCS have always been played in a 2-3-2 format. Home field advantage, two at home, three on the road, two at home. Um, and that's been pretty much the same since then. And then in 1971, they played the first night World Series game. Yep. Um, Cincinnati Reds in 1935, but it remained game time. Night games were played in the major leagues first with the Cincinnati Reds in 35. Let me rephrase that. But the World Series was strictly a daytime thing. In uh, 1949, they finished a World Series game of lights, but it didn't start under the lights. But the first scheduled night game of the World Series was 1971 at Three Rivers Stadium in uh, Pittsburgh. Yep. And afterward, World Series games were frequently scheduled at night because television, you're going to make more money playing games at night when everybody's off work. Yeah. I wouldn't have watched game two of the Braves World Series had it been at 2.30 because I was a Thursday and I was working, you well, know? Yeah, you know. And that was A's owner Charlie Finley's idea. He's like, hey, we need to have night games in, in the World Series because, you know, people are just not going to, you know, the viewership's not going to be, you know, during the game. But so, so speaking of the A's, I'm sorry, what? Can you tell me the last time a World Series game was played during the daytime without looking it up? I don't know. Game 6, 1987. Indoors at the Metrodome is the last World Series played outdoor. No, wait. Metrodome, they were. That's indoors. inside. Game six of the 1987 World Series, the last World Series game played in the daytime, even though it was indoors at the Metrodome. That's the last World Series game that was ever in the afternoon. But does that really count, though? Because it's the Metrodome. No. The last outdoors one was in 1984 at Tiger Stadium. Okay. Yeah. But it's been that long since they played a day World Series game. Like, I kind of thought this Brass Braves World Series, some of the weekend games, they started so late, so many commercials. I feel like, you know, we're starting at 6. It's Sunday. Let's start it at 3. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for like a Sunday. I'm up at 11 watching baseball. I'm down with the Sunday World Series game because let's be honest, man, it, I, I got tired watching it. It ain't noon, but let's do like, let's do 3 o'clock. And then all the constant pitching changes. Like, you know, one of the games was like the Braves bullpen day. And they, uh, I was like, stop with Stop with all these constant pitching changes. Just pitch the game. Get you, I, you know, just pitch the game and stop doing the pitching changes because it's just going to drag the game longer. But anyway, that's just my opinion. It, we're uh, I'm a, I agree with you, and I'm willing to bet most of our listeners will because I got real tired and stayed up way too late watching baseball. I'd be in the living room yeah, right next door to where we're recording right now, and Sony would be in the bedroom right next on the other side of where we're recording right now. And she's like, when are you coming to bed? And I'm like, when the Braves win. Right, yeah. <laughs> It was nuts. So, but anyway, going back to Charlie Finley and the A's, 72, 73, 74, the Oakland A's at the time, those are still the Oakland A's for now, uh, they won three straight World Series titles. They are the only team outside of the New York Yankees 
to win back, you know, three three or more World Series in a row. You know, they were dominant. They had Rich Jackson. They had Catfish Hunter. You know, they had uh, Vita Blue, Blue Bermuda, Burt Campanaris, Joe Rudy. Was that pre? Um, oh, oh, Raleigh Fingers. Was that pre? Post Raleigh Fingers. No, that was, that was, no, Raleigh Fingers, well, he had the mustache then. Was he on that team? He was on the team. He was on three teams. He was their reliever. And, you know, Charlie. The best mustache in the history of sports. And he's, yeah, and I've met him. I've As a mustache connoisseur. I've met Charlie <laughs> Fingers. I've met Raleigh Fingers. I've got, I've got his autograph. I've got a picture with him. He's great. I love, I love Raleigh Fingers. Hey, he's a gamer, man. Yeah. And, like, they beat the Reds in 72. So we're starting to touch in the history that we're alive to be able to look back on and actually yeah. be able to tangibly understand. Because the stuff in the 30s and the 20s, we can read about it all we want. Yeah, and I know some. But we can't full-on, like, grasp. Right. Because our parents saw that happen, so we can pick their brains a little bit. And yeah, yeah. So 72, they beat the big red machine. Reggie Jackson didn't play that series because he got injured during the LCS, and so he was out the whole series. 73, A's beat the Mets in seven games. Now, this was a series because one of the A's players, I think it was an infielder, Mickey Andrews, made some critical errors in one of the games. It pissed off Charlie Finley, the owner of the A's, and so he basically... He fired Mickey Andrews for his play. And basically, he, he, I'm trying to remember what he did. He, he basically forced Andrews to like sign an affidavit saying he was hurt or something when he wasn't. And so he basically... So it's kind of manipulating the DL, yeah. pre-DL? And he was basically, he basically embarrassed Mickey Andrews. And like Bowie Kuhn was just like, the commissioner of baseball at the time was just not thrilling. And the, the team didn't like it. And after that World Series, Dick Williams who was their manager, and he's in the Hall of Fame, he quit the team in protest of what, after they won the World Series. But, in the, you know, in 74, they still stuck, to, they still stuck together. They had a new manager named Alton Dark, and they won the World Series that year against the Dodgers in five games. And, like I said, well, back to back to back, the only team outside the Yankees to win three or more straight World Series championships. So let's jump forward to 76, the DH, first time in the World Series. Yep, and the Reds, the Big Red Machine swept the Yankees four straight. And then we're going to jump to uh, 1977. Yep. Mr. October. October. Yankees. Three consecutive home runs in a ballgame. And the Yankees win their first World Series since 1962, right? The, The dog days were over. Technically, they ended in 76 when they made it back to the World Series, but they were really over in 77 with Jackson and Hunter, who helped the A's win those World Series. Now, where the Yankees helped win them, where there's a World Series in 77, 78. And, of course, with Billy Martin, but then, like, you know, Medling and Bob Lemon managed the team in 78. It was just crazy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to toot my own horn for a second. I hit three consecutive home runs in a baseball game. Russell Weichel, I know you're listening. You were there. It's, but it was men's league. It wasn't in the damn World Series. But still, that's a you know accomplishment. I'm gonna toot my horn on that one. Go for it, man. And so that's like three of my six career. Yeah. <laughs> so '79, the We Are Family Pirates won the World Series against the 
Orioles. And, you know, Jimmy Carter, who is a very distant relative of mine, President Jimmy, he was at Game 7. He congratulated the Pirates on winning. That was the only baseball. You're related to Jimmy Carter? Very, very distantly. My I've swam in his swimming pool. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. I dated a girl from J, Georgia. Ellaville, Georgia? Ellaville, Georgia? Yeah. It's right next door to Plains. Yeah. And um, they they farm pecans. He farms peanuts. And when I was dating her, when I was in college at Columbus State, um, we went and hung out with Jimmy one day. So you met Jimmy Carter? Yeah, I've been in his house. That's awesome. It's one of the cool. It, it's the coolest thing I've ever fucking done. Yeah, I love Jimmy Carter. I'm gonna have to bleep that out, but. <laughs> right. I love Jimmy. But Carter. no, anyway. he, he, he's such a nice guy. Whether you agree with his politics or not, he's a genuine grade A dude. And this was. Ten years, eh, eight years ago. Still, that that's something you know you can remember for the rest of your Bucket life. Bucket list, man. Bucket list. Nobody thing. else got a swim in Jimmy Carter swimming pool. Now my brother Josh went to one of his Sunday schools in 2017, and he got to be Jimmy Lawson. Not to extend, still last cool stories. You swimming in a swimming pool, you know. Anyway, so Jimmy Carter was there. That was the only World Series game that he attended, or only baseball game that he attended when he was president. So that was cool. And he's a big baseball fan, big Braves fan. Huge, huge. You got to be if you're from Plains, Georgia. Yeah. You ride into Plains, Georgia. They got a huge thirty foot tall peanut with his smile on it. Shit. It's uh, it looks like looks like uh, one of them. Fiberglass through rafts of the golf course, but it's a peanut with his face and his mouth. Yeah. Now, 1980, the Philadelphia Phillies, who for so long have been such a hapless, terrible baseball team, they finally win a World Series championship in 1980 with the help of Mike, Sh- you know, good old Michael Jack Schmidt, uh, you know, playing third base, and they had Pete Rose on the team then, and Brett, and, I'm sorry, Bob Boom, who was catcher, and they had all these guys. Too many boons. <laughs> Steve Carlton, you know, great pitcher of the team. You know, they had uh, Tug McGraw, who was great, the reliever. They had all these guys, and they beat George Brett and the Kansas City Royals 48-2. The hapless Philadelphia Phillies won their first ever World Series championship in 1980. That great moment for Philly fans and baseball fans in general, so. So there's a handful of good moments in the 80s. In uh, 84, yep, Tigers. the Tigers, Sparky Anderson, he became the first manager in a World Series in both leagues. He won in 75 and 76 with the Reds, mm-hmm. and in 84 with the Tigers. And when Kirk, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. When Kirk Gibson hit that, when Kirk Gibson, Kirk In 1988, that Kirk Gibson. Right, now, he played for the Tigers in 84. And he hit a home run in game five in the eighth inning. And there's footage on YouTube. Sparky Anderson's in the dugout, you know, when Garrett Gibson's at bat. And he's basically saying to the Padres pitcher, Goose Gossage, he's like, you know, you know he's basically telling, I'm sorry, he's basically telling uh, Gibson that, you know, Goose, that Gossage doesn't want to walk. And he's like, hey, he don't want to walk you. He don't want to walk you. And then when he hit, the, when Gibson hit that home run, he kept Sparky kept saying he don't want to walk you, he don't want to walk you. I mean, I just love that. Everybody, everybody knows the Kurt Gibson fist pump, fist pump around second. Right, you know, on the bum leg. Yeah. Now he did that in '88 with the Dodgers. That's a simple moment. There's a couple other 1980s moments. Um, in 1985, the Royals they won the series four to three over the Cardinals. 
Sorry. And there was a blown call in game six. Yes. Uh, at first base. Yes. By Don Deckinger. Dinkinger. Yeah. And he got like death threats after that, man. Um, and then that gave the Royals game six. And then they won game seven, 11 to nothing. That, yeah, the Royals and Cardinals, you know, that was the Air State 70 series. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Air State 70 yep. St. Louis and Kansas City. And then in 87, the Twins became the first World Series champion to win every home game. They went seven series. They won every home game to win it. How cool is that, man? That's just unique. But you're, let's fast forward to 86. I mean, uh, fast forward. But go back to 86, the Bill Buckner series, Mets and Red Sox, game six, Extra innings at Shea Stadium. Good old Mookie Wilson hits that grounder and goes through Bill Buckner's legs. And that was so sad. I, you know, poor Bill Buckner, you know. But hey, you know, once the Red Sox won the World Series in 2004, they welcomed him back. Right. And... Bill Buckner was forgiven, you know. I wish, you know, I wish they could do that for, I wish the Cubs could do that for Steve Bartman, but, you know. And then 89, you have the Giants. And the A's. And as you get, then you have, in the middle of the series, a damn earthquake. Right, which postponed the rest of the series for a few So, days. when we went, when I was out in San Francisco, a couple, what, a month and a half ago-ish? Least, yeah. They had pictures of that in the stadium. Of the old riverfront, and, or not riverfront. Um, Bay, uh, Candlestick Park. Candlestick. Yeah. And how it, that was really cool, because we lucked up and had really good seats. Like, you had to go through, like, the luxury area to get to our seats. and. Yeah. That's a cool World Series. And then um, 91, Kirby Puckett. Yep, good old Kirby. Um, that, that catch he made in the 11th. And then he hit the game-winning homer Yeah. to Jack, win the series. Like, Jack Morris, old Jack Morris, you know, did well in that series. He won a World Series championship with the Tigers. Over the Braves, the biggest failure of the 90s. The biggest, fel- biggest postseason sports failure of any franchise ever, I think. With the exception of 95 and this year. Yeah, but how many how many years in a row did they go to the playoffs? Probably like thirteen, and they won a World Series. I mean, but the consistency, you know, you got a remarkable consistency. Yeah, I mean, but so Jack Morris, the pitcher of the Twins, he won a World Series in '84 with the Tigers. He won a World Series with the Twins in '91. And I think he was. He was the series' most outstanding pitcher as well as MVP. He pitched a complete 10-inning shutout in Game 7. Yeah, dude went 10 innings. <laughs> I don't have his pitch count, but you got the, he got the MVP of the series winning that. And then the next year, the Braves went back to Canada, went up to Canada, and got beat by the Blue Jays in 92. And Jimmy and, uh, Jack Morris was on that team as well, but he, only went, he, he lost both his games. So, in... The Blue Jays were the first team outside the U.S. to win the World Series, and our fellow Huntsville native Jimmy Key was on that team, mm-hmm. and he was named series most outstanding pitcher that year. And he went. We're gonna go brag on our Huntsville guy. In two games, he started one. He went two and zero with two walks and a strikeout, <coughs> but his ERA was where am I? His ERA was a perfect one point zero zero. One run per nine? Yeah. If you're not winning games, putting up a one ERA, Jimmy, you're playing for the wrong team. Jimmy Key put his neck on the line, you know, and he got the Blue Jays the first World Series. And then next year, he did free agency with the Yankees. 
where he won World Series in 96. So. And then we got the strike, 94, 95, where baseball lost a bunch of fans. Yeah, and I, the Cardinals were probably going to win it that year, but they didn't get it. Well, um, well people thought the Expos were going to do it, too, because the Expos had a great record. There's a big push for uh, Montreal. They really pushing for a team to come back. I would really not be opposed to it. And of course, 95, the Braves won the World Series. My parents and a family friend of ours were at Game 6. We family friend, Monty, maybe? Not Monty. I mean, we're, there, he's a family friend of ours, but no, it was a, it's a different family friend. You, you wouldn't know this person. But anyway, uh, they were there at the game, Game 6. I was not there. I was at my grandparents' house watching the game. That's and not fair. I was I was almost five at the time. I wasn't really paying much attention to baseball at that point in time in my life. I was just just happy to be with my grandparents at that point. So anyway. And then, then we got the strike in 95. Um, 94. 94 to 95. Yeah, okay, yeah. Early, um, it, 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 I didn't realize that Sonia Sotomayor... Is the um, judge that ruled that the baseball was screwing the players over and made baseball come back? How cool is that? <laughs> like I know who she is. I uh, did. I did not know that. I didn't realize that she was the one that made the call. And then um, the Braves wound up win the World Series in, in, in a shortened season. Yeah, because but, they delayed spring training because of the strike. Now I've been. I know I've seen the the uh, head of the Players Association at the time, Donald Fear at this year's Cooperstown induction. And he inducted Marvin Miller, the head of the Players Association, when free agency happened in the 70s. And Donald Fear did, it, his speech was important, but man, it was so boring. And it went so long, and Jeter fans hated it. And he basically was like, you know, if Marvin Miller were alive today, you know, he'd probably lecture Derek Jeter on how to be a better owner or something with players. Something along those lines. You, you can look up the speech. It was a very long speech, and he said something about that. And I was just like, I respect the speech. I respect your, your place in the game, Mr. Fear. But, man, you should have shortened that speech because nobody wanted to sit there. It's kind of like that long-ass high school graduation speech. Yeah, it was like a long-ass high school graduation speech, but a little more boring. Here. <laughs> and then 2001, we had the first World Series in November. Yes. Right know? after the September 11 attacks. And, of course... Um, you know, weren't the Yankees in that series? Let me see. Yeah, the Yankees were. Yeah, the, Yan- the Yankees had another dynasty in the late nineties, early two thousands. They won in ninety six. So miserable. Ninety six. I despise the Yankees. <laughs> well, so does King Griffey Jr. Wait, I'm supposed to be impartial because of this podcast. Whatever. Anyway, so but, the Yankees won. They had a new dynasty of Joe Torre and Derek Jeter and all these guys. You know, they won 96, 98, 99, 2000. 2000, they had the, the Subway Series against the Mets. They beat them See, four, that's cool. Beat them five games. That's cool. First time the Subway Series happened since 1956 with the Yankees and Dodgers. But then 2001, you know, very emotional time. 9-11 happened the month before. George W. Bush I'll never out. forget that first pitch. He's out there in a bulletproof vest and then... Yeah. He lobs a fucking fastball right down the pipe. It was great, man. You know, he great You know what? Uh, you know, say what's real about his politics, but that was a great first pitch. I don't give a damn about his politics. I don't give a damn about religion. But he straight up told me, God told me I have to throw this right down the pipe. And yeah. he did it. And, you know, they played the Arizona Diamondbacks, who, were, who became a team three years before that, 98. That's back with the cool Diamondbacks. Right, the, the the purple uniforms. Now the uniforms are not as cool. I don't really care for them. They should go back to the purple. 
Oh, Patrick's getting something. What's he getting? Oh, Randy Johnson. Purple Arizona Diamondbacks. <laughs> you know, Johnson and Kurt Schilling were the stars of that team. No, who was the um, shortstop? Uh, Luis Gonzalez? Yeah. Now, Luis Gonzalez had the game-winning hit in Game 7. Yeah, they laced, they laced it in the gap. And us, us Huntsvillians will know this. Jay Bell, the current Rocket City Trash Pandas manager, scored the winning run for the Diamondbacks in Game 7. Oh, you're right. He did. Yeah, he did. And I've only, been trying to figure out where I knew him from. He just took connected the dots for me. And not only that, Luis Gonzalez, Luis Gonzalez man. played college baseball at South Alabama. So did he really? Yeah, there's, so there's a little Alabama connection there. You know, we got two kind of Alabama connections with these two guys. That's my favorite, man. The Randy Johnson. The old school. The old school A. They should never change those colors. It's looked at the... Yeah, I mean, they should never change those colors. It, it was unique. It was them. I don't care if they wanted to rebrand. They should have But Kirk Schilling and Randy Johnson dominated their World Series. Dude, those weird gray jerseys they wear now? Trash. And the red, I just don't like it. You know? No, and they fade. They fade. Like, no, that's not... That's I'm a traditionalist. Yeah. As, as are you. Yeah, so they... Not only did, so they dominated so much in those seven games. They so, both Randy and Kurt won the series MVP as well as series most outstanding pitcher. They were that great. I think they both won two games. Yeah, they won. No, my bad. Randy won three games in the series. He probably maybe the last pitcher to win three games in a series. Probably. I would. I bet know. we can research that. We'll, we'll give. You, we can look at that up, and we might give you all an update on the next episode. Yeah. So he won three games. Shook out 19 guys and had 1.04 ERA. Kurt Schilling went 1-0 with 26 strikeouts and 1.69 ERA in three games. So I guess he had some no decisions in there or I don't know how they used it, but like they were both very good. They won. They, they won. I, I, you know, I don't want to get into Kurt Schilling's politics, but maybe whatever. Dude, he's a nut on Twitter. Right. He needs to get off Twitter, but you know they were great pitchers. They dominated. I I, I respect what he did in the game. He, he can say whatever he wants on Twitter. Right. But we're on the next era now, which is um, the All Star home field advantage thing. How do you feel about that? I think it's it's cool, but I think it's a gimmick. It probably is, but it's just something to like you know make the All Star game something to play for. You know, like oh this is important, but like the American League. Yeah, but it's an exhibition. Right, but the American League has dominated so much. So you're giving season. you're giving them the advantage in the World Series every year. Yeah, it's like whatever, you know. They but they they're like well, we need to think of something to decide who's going to host the game one. How about this? Going. Whoever has the best record. Yeah. That just this is an opinion based segment right, right. here. Now, if you got the best record, you get it. Like the Braves had not home field advantage, and they wouldn't have had home field advantage even regardless of the All Star game this year. Yeah. You know, like I think that's the way to do it. And like it's cool, but I don't think it, I don't think you need to make the All Star game a gimmick. Yeah. And that's an era of the World Series that has gone from the what 2013 to now. Yeah, it's just like it doesn't do it for me. Yeah, but 2004. We all know what happened in 2004. We absolutely know. Everybody knows what happened. 2004. Red Sox down the ALCS four ga- three games to nothing, win four straight. Yep, it's the Yankees. And then they went and whooped the St. Louis Cardinals' ass in St. Louis. Four games to none. 
Sorry. They won seven games straight. Yeah. Sorry, Patrick. I'm not sure if anybody's won seven games straight. Maybe once or twice, but. I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I, I'm, it's, too, it's too early to think, man. Too late to think. Anyway, so, you know, Red Sox, they won the World Series. First time since 1918. The, the curse of Babe Ruth, the curse of Bambino's over. Everybody's partying. You know, Bill Buckner's forgiven. It's all good. And then, you know, 2005, the White Sox won the first World Series since 1917. You know, and so that was good. Um, uh, so like, you know, there's, you know, after the Yankees won three straight from 98 to 90, I'm sorry, 98, 1998 to 2000, I apologize for misleading y'all. There's never been another, no other World Series team has won back-to-back World Series. Got You can call the Giants, you can call the Giants a dynasty for winning three out of five. Well, only in odd years. Only or even years. Even years. From 2010 to 2012, 2014. The 2014 World Series was great because they both teams had a, had a player who played for the University of North Alabama, which, if you know me, that's my alma mater. And so, like, they had Josh Willingham on the Royals, and they had Sergio Romo on the uh, Giants, you know. And so that was, that was really good for me. It was the all-UNA World Series, you know. Just gotta talk about Walmart. And the Royals winning in um, 2014. That was the first time they had even made the playoffs since they won it the previous time in '85, and that was the longest postseason drought in baseball. And then they happened to win the World Series and do it all. Yeah, in 2015 they won it. You know, and they beat the Mets in five games, and the Mets really collapsed. Like these blue saves, and Daniel Murphy, who was the star of the Mets in the at least in the NLCS as well as the DS, he just didn't produce well in the 2015 World Series against the Royals. But I was so glad the Royals won the World Series after all, excuse me, after all this time. And good old George Brett was smiling, and it was, you know, I always like George Brett, so, yeah. Of course, he, he wasn't playing in, in, in 2015. He was just he's part of the Royals front office in some way. But, and then the next year. The next year. The Cubbies. The Cubbies. <laughs> no, I the night they won it, I was with my buddy Lynn Hayes. Yeah. I'm a Cardinals fan, but I enjoyed watching him celebrate. Yeah, and yeah. I because he called his granddad, he called his dad. He's from Chicago. Yeah, he generational Cubs fan. I enjoyed watching him celebrate, even though I'm a Cardinals guy. That was a big I like the Braves. I pull for the Cardinals. I pull for the. I like the. I'm a Cardinals fan. I pull for the Braves because they're on TV every night. Yeah, Let me rephrase that. Every night. But, um, and I enjoyed watching Lynn get to celebrate this thing he's been waiting for for 45 years of his yeah. life. You that, know? Was, that was great. And, like, that night, Game 7, I had to work. I closed it, the Hampton Cove Publix. And I live in South Huntsville. Hampton Cove's east. I it's over the, over the hill. I had to go over the little hill, little mountain to get back to my house. And, like, you know, I remember, I'm so glad that game was extra inning because if it didn't, I probably Because they had that rain delay in that game, right? Yeah, there was a rain delay. I'm, I'm so, sorry, they had the rain delay, I think, with extra innings, too. I was with Russell. Russell Weichel, yeah. Yes, my best friend. And um, he went home. I'm like, dude, why are you going home right now? Like, neither one of us were at sports page. Yeah. Neither one of us were wasted or any of that. He's <laughs> like, I got to go home. I got things to do. I'm like, you're going to miss the end of the fucking... 
World Series. Yeah. I like, well, how long is this ring going to take? They, they'll probably play tomorrow. I'm like, nah, dude. They're going to get this in. Yeah. But, like, you know, that, you know, my man, we, we, we closed the store at, like, 10, 15, 10, 30, whatever. I forgot what the time was. And we cleaned everything. And I was like, hey, I'm, we're good. And I, my manager was kind of, my, the closing manager at the time was like, what, are you, are you sure? And I'm like, yes, I am sure. We're done. I need to, I need to watch baseball. Right, this is more important right now. We, if I missed anything, I can clean it up tomorrow. But I gotta go home and watch this game. This is more important than produce. Right, this is more important than produce. Absolutely, you know. So, uh, you know, and I got home and we watched the game. My, my family and I did, and it was great. And the, you know, they won the, the Cubs won the World Series in Cleveland, and Bill Murray was there. Bill Murray, he's... I love Bill Murray. We can just do a Bill Murray episode. They don't have to do anything with baseball and people would love it. Because Bill Murray's amazing. You know, before the Cubs won this World Series, there were lots of memes. And my all-time favorite meme of the Cubs pre-2016 is a picture of Jeff Foxworthy. And it says, If the Ottoman Empire was around the last time your team won the World Series, you might be a Cubs fan. That is my all-time favorite meme ever. I th- you know, being a history major, you know, we all knew that the Ottoman Empire was around in 1908. Now, not so much, but, you know. And, of course, before the Dodgers won it last year, I made another, I made a meme of Jeff Foxworthy saying, if the Soviet Union was around the last time your team won the World Series, you might be a Dodgers fan. <laughs> they know. should hang that one in the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, totally, you know. Just, I think you had enough pull to maybe make that happen. I probably do since I still, as of right now, I still write articles for all fame. By the way, y'all go look at Matthew's latest shortstop article. It really reminds me of what happened to the Huntsville Stars turned. Biloxi Shuckers. Turned Biloxi Shuckers. Yeah. Well, with the exception of that is, going to get off the subject, but I'll be brief about this. Compared to the, the Shuckers 2015 inaugural season to the Yargos 2016 inaugural season the Shuckers were still able to manage to play in their home ballpark that that season yeah eventually eventually they had to go on the road before the thing got finished and they had to play some games at Joe Davis Stadium which as you can imagine I'm sure nobody went to those games they um (laughs) so that was during the year I was working as a um clubby for the Biscuits yeah Montgomery Biscuits and um that's some shit I'm going to tell you off air. Okay, so we're, we're not going to, yeah. This is the, About how the Shuckers thing went down. Yeah. And now the 2016 season with the Hartford Yard Goats, they played the entire season on the road. And the whole situation. Of and they how, damn near won the league. Right. And, like, I can, I'm a, so I, I got something to tell you all. I've been, the past five years, I've been following the whole Dunkin' Donuts Drama, Dunkin' ballpark drama, and I've, I'm, I've been, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been start, I've started at least a few years ago to start writing a book about the Yardgo's 2016 season, because there's so much more about, there's so much drama about how it went down between the city and the team and the original developers of the ballpark center plant construction. And how it didn't get completed for the 2016 season, and there's just in you know just lawsuits flying everywhere, and the team stuck together, 
And, you know, even though they played the whole season on the road, the owner and the Eastern League president threatened to move the team out of Hartford if the ballpark wasn't complete in 2017. So they hired a new developer who knew what they were doing to build the ballparks that they have because the Whitey the, Turner had experience doing that, uh, building ballparks, and, like, they got it done, and then they had it. And, you know, I don't really go in. I mean, I briefly mentioned that in the article that I wrote for the Hall of Fame called Goats on the Road. But there's so much more to this story, and hopefully if I could ever get out of procrastinating on everything, I could finish this thing and, you know. I'm smelling an episode. Yeah, that's going to be an episode of the future. You know, if I, if I ever get this thing done and, you know, get it out and, and do shit. I'm smelling an episode. Yeah, because that's, that's baseball history. That's in the past. That was five years ago. That was a really nice article you wrote. Thank you. I, and I was glad. I was glad that the Hall of Fame has that, and I was really excited when I saw that. And I asked Cassidy Lynch, who is the librarian at the Hall of Fame, who does you know, who's the main main librarian person. I was like, hey, I know this was not on the original list you sent out to me and other in, former interns to help you guys write articles, but I want to write a shortstop on this particular uh, artifact as well as other artifacts that you didn't put into the on the initial list. Can I do this? And she said yes. And I said, all right. If I were to write a good article about some random baseball history thing, could I give it to you and give it to her and maybe get a... If it's in, if it's something, like, if you go on Pastime, which is the online uh, digital collection at the Hall of Fame, and you find something, if you find an artifact on there that has, so far has not been written about in shortstops, you know, there'd be a good chance I could do it. Now... Next year, they're going to have interns at the Hall of Fame. Right. So, and after I finished the Yard Ghost one, I asked if I could write six more. And she said yes. And so, my goal is to, like, write these six, but, like, send them in, like, once a month from, like, December until, like, May. And then after that, they'll have the new interns in, and then they'll, those guys, those interns will help them write shortstops. But, of course. Well, I'm sure if you keep writing good stuff, they'll let you. I'm leaving this in the podcast, by the way. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely. People need to know that I do this, you know. You know, I mean, I, this is my way of writing these short stops. Is my way of continuing this connection with the Hall of Fame. I mean, sure, I'm always going to be a part of the Hall of Fame family because I was an intern there. But it's my way... I want of, you to be the head curator there one day. Thank you. But this is my way of continuing this as well as you know adding this to my resume and LinkedIn profiles you know to show that hey even though during this pandemic I've not been working in the museum I haven't really been doing a lot of museum stuff but you're still contributing right I'm contributing I'm writing you know and doing research on these artifacts in the Hall of Fame that you know some of it some of the some of my sources are personal books that I own in my personal library. Others are like stuff I just did on newspapers.com that like find something that was like, wow, that, you, that I wouldn't be able to find if I didn't have newspapers.com subscription, you know. So, you know, just writing these articles are great and I'm absolutely grateful that the Hall of Fame allowed me to do this after my internship. Well, yeah. That's awesome because I know um, 
Russell Weichel's enjoying listening to our podcast. Both of the Cornell brothers are enjoying this. Yeah. And then they're both enjoying your articles, you know, and there's people we grew up with that are enjoying what you're doing. Right. And I'm enjoying doing this with you because you're imparting knowledge on me. Right. You know, and it's... I like, get, I, you know, I know baseball, but I don't know baseball the way you know baseball. Yeah. And I'm getting a little emotional because just, you know, the, the opportunity that the Hall of Fame gave me back in 2019 to be an intern is just... They don't do that for everybody. There's not a lot of people have been turned or even worked at the hall. When I saw you were working up there, I sent my dad a text message. Mm-hmm. And I go, you ever seen a more fitting guy for this job? And he said, and he said nope. <laughs> yeah, and so just, you know, just to be ever, to be forever, be a part of the Hall of Fame family, to even work at the Hall of Fame in some capacity. And I told this to Jane Forbes Clark, the, uh, the chairman of the board of the Hall of Fame, I was like, my, you know, my dream was to work at the Hall of Fame in some capacity. I said that word for word, and I have achieved that, you know, and just, I, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional about this, but I've been, you know, we can talk about this in another episode. We can make an episode about my time in the Hall of Fame. If oh, that'd be to. great. Yeah, but, you know, I, I maybe agree. we could, maybe we could make the Hall of Fame pay us to do a podcast for the Hall of Fame. That would be nice. That would be pushing it. Would that be nice? <laughs> I mean, they don't pay me to write these shortstops. I'm just doing this out of the kindness of my heart. I'd do it for free if they put it on their website. Right. You know, I don't care. It like, you know, anyway, but just, but um, I'm just rambling. But just the, 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 it's just an honor. It was an honor to be a part of the Hall of Fame as an intern and some, you know, and work there in some capacity. And I will. I appreciate sitting at the table with somebody who was able to see the things that I've seen on a baseball field and. Yeah, so... So, uh, we're done with the Cubs. They won the World Series. Sorry about the... But sorry about the uh, getting off subject. Oh, you're was, good. It was great. So, you know. Sorry to the listeners for getting off subject, but... <laughs> I just want y'all to know, Matthew has stepped in the hallowed halls. Yeah. Um, Cubs won. We get it. Whatever. Screw you, Cubs. Yeah. <laughs> My fandom's a little bit there. But you know, in 2018, this the is 2017, the Astros won. Yeah, the Astros uh, Over won the Dodgers. The trash cans. First time since they... This wasn't the cheer scandal yet. No. But I mean, they won over the Dodgers the first time since they became a team in the 60s. 1962. Two. When yes, two. Houston Colt, Colt 45s, yeah. I really want to buy one of those jerseys. They're sweet. They look sweet, you know. Let's go back to the closet. <laughs> what do you got? I got a Craig Biggio. Oh yeah. Orange Sherbert. Oh, the Tequila Sunrise one. There you go. I love it. Craig Biggio, man. Of course, he wasn't on the team in, in twenty seven. Not when they won it, but he was in there in '05 when they played the White Sox, but. But um, <laughs> and then so the Astros beat the Dodgers in 2017. So 2018, this is my the Red Sox and the Dodgers play each other in the World Series. Now I got there are some similarities between the 2018 World Series and the 1916 World Series. Both the same teams played each other in the World Series those years. Now as we discussed before, the Dodgers were called. 
the Brooklyn Robins in 1916 because Wilbur Robinson was their manager. And, you know, they were kind of like the Red Sox in the early days. The Dodgers were going through a name crisis because some people were calling them the Dodgers, some people were calling them Suburbas. And then, you know, when uh, Wilbur Robinson became their manager in 1914, they were like, we're just going to call them the Robins after Wilbur Robinson. But anyway, so 1916, 1918, there's two very similar World Series. Both series went to five games. And the Red Sox won both series four games to one. And in both series, the Dodgers, or Robins, won their only game in in each series in game three. And of course, you know, 16 World Series, the Red Sox played their games in British Field because it had a bigger capacity in Fenway Park, you know, and, but in, our, in 2018, our, our local Huntsville guy, Craig Kimbrell, got his World Series ring with the Red Sox, so that was cool. Former high school teammate. Yep. And so, it went, I forgot who won, I forgot which team won it last to make it official, but when when it was announced that on MLB's Instagram page in 2018 that the Red Sox and the Dodgers were playing against each other in the series that year, they mentioned the Red the MLB's Instagram page said for the first time ever the Red Sox and Dodgers were playing against each other in the World Series. And myself and other baseball fans called bullshit on that and said no. They played against each other in the 1916 World Series. What are you doing, MLB Instagram page? And they're like, and the MLB's Instagram page response to all of this was, well, you know, the, the Brooklyn Dodgers were called the Brooklyn Robins in 1916. I'm like, it's the same franchise. This is not... Too- because your name changes. Right. So you're telling me the uh, Washington Redskins records aren't... So they're starting fresh with the Washington football team, right? You know, is, you know? it, is this how it's going to be? Is it you know when when the Washington football team makes it to a world uh, a Super Bowl, are they going to say, "Oh, this is the first time ever"? I'm like, no, it's the same franchise. This is stupid. Anyway, so I just want to mention that 2019 uh, Washington Nationals. Nationals, and you know they won the World Series in seven games. They seven. were 41 and 41 at the break. One at all, man. And um, my second cousin, Lauren. Well, I'm not going to say the break because the breaks often pass the half, but they were 41 and 41 halfway through their schedule. Yeah. And my second cousin, Lauren, who lives in the Houston area, she was at game seven of that 2019 World Series with her fiance at the time. They're married now, but so that was cool. So if a member of my family was at, you know, other than my parents, was also at a World Series game. So that was cool. And then 2020, the pandemic year, we've all lived through I don't it. count it. But we got to talk about it. Because... The Houston Astros won. No, no, no. No, Do- no, no. Dodgers. no Dodgers won. Dodgers won. Yeah, Dodgers played... Oh, who did they play? It wasn't the Strode. No, they played the Rays. They played the Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa Rays... Tampa Bay Rays would have won that series had they not pulled Blake Snell out of that game. Yes. And when I was a clubby for the biscuits, we were talking about being a clubby for the biscuits earlier. Yeah. Had I not been a clubby for the biscuits, I would have never known Blake Spell, Blake Snell. Yeah. Great A dude. I don't know how you pull him out of that game. I was in Birmingham on a business trip. I was put up in this nice ass hotel room. I'm watching this game, and they pull him, and it's just like, what are you doing? He's on like 70 pitches through like 
it's what, seven innings? Yeah. Like, this dude is dealing, and they pull him. And that literally cost him that World Series. Yeah, I mean, that was just not smart. And then he ended up with the Padres the next year. Yeah. I don't know how you pull Blake Snell. That was just not a good idea on the manager's part. He's a great-A dude. He was yeah. a he was on the double-A biscuits yeah. when I was working for the biscuits. Patrick knew the number. Great-A dude. Great-A dude, which... Greater dude has nothing to do with your pitching results. Right, but you should. Have kept but like, I, I, like I know, I know, like I, I used to, I used to clean the dude's cleats and wash his laundry. Blake, Blake Snell was the ace of that team, and to pull him that early was not smart. I can't believe it. That cost him that World Series. Now, because it was the pandemic year, and you know, travel was not smart. They, they, all the World Series games that year, as well as some playoffs before that were held at the Rangers' new ballpark in Arlington, Texas, Globe Life Field. Which seems to be a very mediocre park from everything I've read about it. They should have never left the ballpark in Arlington. but That place is so cool. I like the backdrop. I've been there once in 2019. I fucking love it. The backdrop with the... The architecture... Yeah, the backdrop and the architecture is just great. Uh, uh, Well... Ballpark in Arlington. Now it's called Choctaw Stadium. It's like a football and soccer stadium. But at least they didn't tear it down. At least it's not like, at least it's like Turner Field. Well, what whatever Turner Field is now called, and they kept it. Georgia State Stadium or something. Well, I don't now know. it's like a cre- like a credit union bought the rights to it. But anyway, we also there. So they played all the games in Arlington, Texas. First time it's ever been a neutral site. Like, you know, that's. Dude, how do you pull that guy? I'm, you know, I was a pitcher. I pitched my way through college. You did. How do you pull him, man? I'm still stressed out about it. It's two years later. I'm sure other race fans feel the same way as you do, even though you're not a race fan. I'm not a race fan. I'm just a baseball guy. And of course, this year, 2021, Braves won the World Series. So this was. They had no business winning this World Series. You know, but they. But they did it. They were hot at. All right, Matthew, you know as good as me. It's all about being hot at the right time. Yep. Guess who was hot at the right time? The Braves were. At the Atlanta damn Braves. Yep. And uh, so, you know, we all know Hank Aaron passed away this year in January. Very heartbreaking. Um, so, and so, and here's a fact that Vince Scully tweeted out recently. Like I love Vince Scully. And Vince Scully is, if, if you guys don't know who Vince Scully was, which I'm sure somebody... He know. was, I'm going to go ahead and let y'all know, he used to be the radio guy for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yep. He followed them to LA. When I was working at MVP on Southside, yeah. I'd close the bar, but the West Coast game would still be on. I would literally turn up because we had the MLB package. I would turn it up and I would listen to Vin Scully while I'm cleaning. Just such a sexual baseball voice. Just I can tell a story. That's you know, you know, like I don't mean it to be weird, but that's how. He, but that's how he is, man. He yeah. can just paint a story with his words. I mean, that's why he he broadcast for sixty. He he is the best baseball commentator of all time. I believe he's a Hall of Fame. Is it? Yeah, he won. He, he won the Frick Award. As he should have. Now, the cool thing about Vince Scully, he started in 1950. He did spring training games with the Dodgers. They played the A's, the Philadelphia A's. Connie Mack was in his last year. 
as A's manager. It all comes back to Connie Mack, doesn't it? I'm telling you, man. Like, just <laughs> think of that. Like, Vince Scully started his career when Connie Mack was ending his career. How many times have I mentioned Connie Mack tonight? Three, four, S- so five? Many. Connie Mack was a huge part of the game as well as Vince Scully. But anyway, I'm sorry. Going back to the tweet. <laughs> we get, we've gotten off so much this, this episode. We'll try not to do that next episode. But anyway... Going back to his tweet that he po- he tweeted this this month, he said at the All Star break, before at the time of the All Star break, the Braves won forty four games. At the end of the season, you know, after the All Star break, they won forty four games. Hank Aaron's number was forty four. You know, it seems like the the stars aligned. You know, I've got another Facebook thing I'm going to show you later. I'll have to find it again, but there's like more fours and fours and fours and fours and fours beyond that. Yeah, like, but like, you know, when, when Vince Scully of all people tweeted, <laughs> I was like, wow, that's awesome, man. Vince Scully, man. We need to do an episode on him because he's yeah. so silky smooth like this. Just telling stories like, y'all at home, go look up the video of Vince Scully when the uh, Beatles played at Dodger Stadium. Stadium, and he was there, and it was after the game. Vince Scully is just awesome, man. I love Vince Scully. I love I love Vince Scully as much as I love Harry Carey and Skip Carey and even Chip Carey. I love Chip Carey, man. Oh, he, I love that video of him and the Braves on the World Series. He just yeah, yeah, this is great, man. But anyway, um, I guess we're done with this episode. We've just been gallivanting yeah. and talking bullshit for the last. So if people if people got lost in our rambling, this episode was about the World Series, and we did that as well as other baseball, which I'm sure everybody would appreciate. You know, our going off the subject because it was it's mostly been about baseball. It's not been about like politics or anything else. You know, it's been baseball related, personal stuff related. You know, about baseball. Let's see here. We we've got almost 55 listeners, and we really appreciate all 55, 58 listeners. Yeah. We really appreciate y'all. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for listening and giving us the time of day. You know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's twenty-two off. Remember. Right, right. Yeah. But um, we appreciate y'all listening. To us. Um, if you want to suggest a topic, either hit me or Matthew up on Facebook. That's what Ian. Patrick Devault, Matthew Carter. Yep. That's what our friend Ian Tate Or BBHIS, Baseball HIS 101 at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Yeah. Or if you see us walking around the streets or out about town, if you want to suggest something, that's cool too. Suggest a topic. Um, we got a bunch coming up, but we would like to hear y'all's topics also that you would like to hear. Yeah. Because we can figure them all out. Our next episode is going to be about the 98 home home run race between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah, so, and I got a book about that. I'm going to go find those envelopes at my parents' house. Yeah, 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 and Patrick's got some envelopes and he's going to tell me more about the vaults at McGuire and Sosa. But anyway, that's all I got to say, man. It's been a heck of an episode. I've, I've really enjoyed it. We're on, we're at an hour and 38 minutes and I don't think I'm going to have to edit much out of this one. No, I feel like everything's been very informative and I think you guys may learn something about the World Series or at least anything else we've talked about tonight so yeah I, I got nothing else to add what about you Patrick I'm set man um, thank y'all for listening love y'all 
Love you, Matthew. Love you too, Patrick. Bam. Throwback to playing baseball when we were, what, 13 years old since I met you? Back in the, yeah, Babe Ruth League. What, that's 17 years ago? Alright, we'll see y'all next time. Y'all have a good one. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter. The barber and the nuke They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque Especially Willie Mickey and the Duke Well, Casey was winning Hank Aaron was beginning One Robbie going out, one coming in Kiner and Midget Goodell The Thumper and Mel Parnell Ike was the only one winning down in Washington I'm talking baseball Klazuski, Campanella Talking baseball The man and Bobby Fella The Scooter, the Barber and the Duke They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque Especially Willie Mickey and the Duke Well, he swore he was the Oklahoma kid And Cookie played hooky to go and see the Duke And me, I always loved Willie Mann Those were the days Well, now it's the 80s And Brett is the greatest And Bobby Bonds can play for everyone Roses at the vet, Rusty again is a Met, and the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking baseball, like Reggie Quees and Barry, talking baseball, Carew and Gaylord Perry, Seaver, Garvey, Schmidt, and by the blue. If Cooperstown is calling, it's no fluke, they'll be with Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. It was Willie, Mickey and the Duke. Say hey, say hey, say hey. I'm talking with.